I'm Melissa Currence. And I'm Amy Yersted. And we welcome you to the 21st episode of the What Would Alice Paul Do podcast. This show is about demystifying what it means to be a volunteer with the League of Women Voters today. In this episode, Amy interviews an exceptional leader who develops other African-American women to lead their communities and who spearheads initiatives that focus on diversifying leadership. And in this episode, we ask you to take on a challenge to develop new relationships in diverse communities. So Amy, we're coming up on National Voter Registration Day pretty soon. It's, uh, it is an exciting time, <laughs> especially with the midterm election coming up quick, um, really quick. I feel like it's coming up. Actually, and it's it's only September, but you yes. see it all around you. <laughs> it's a reminder every day. Whenever um, Labor Day starts, ever since I was the voter service chair, when I see um, um, candidate yard signs, I kind of oh. get a little palpitation. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, it tis the season it for is. elections. Yep, so. and everybody's asking you for your money. You're constantly getting barraged right. uh, with emails and uh, leaflets and doors, and so um, everybody wants your vote, which is great. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that people are out there doing that work. Um, I wish it didn't all cost so much money, but till we get money in politics in this country fixed, it's going to continue to cost a lot. That's right. Yeah. National Voter Registration Day this year is September 25th. And it's the day, it's a day where we all, all organizations come together and try to register as many people in our communities as we can. It's especially a great time for League because we are the single largest organization with the largest grassroots network who's out there registering people, everything from festivals to going to door to door, metro and transportation stops. My League, we're doing it, uh, we're trying to meet as many apartments as we can be in as well as a comic book store they're having if if you're into card games they're having magic the gathering pre-release and so we'll have several hundred people coming through uh, young people and so we're really looking forward to that but um yeah what are you guys doing well i read a really great um we're trying to get this in my league where um like uh salons and like oh. hairstylists yeah. encouraging people to register to vote so i think that is charleston South Carolina League uh, had did a project that we were um, we we're interested in finding more about. But, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a really great idea, actually, because my sister's a cosmetologist, and she was just asking me about She's like, Amy, did you say there's some voter tool that I could use that would make it easier for me to learn about my stuff on my ballot? And I, she lives in California, so I told her, you know, you need to go to Voter's Edge. And uh, she was telling me how people who come into her shop, they don't know how to vote. They don't know the issues. And I was like, Jessica, if you could do one thing to help democracy you could have information in your salon so that people can learn about the stuff as they're getting hair done and so um that's a great idea so uh, we were really inspired what uh, charleston was doing with that um, project so we're trying to figure out how we can and do that um ourselves so i mean what a great like people are trapped in their in their (laughs) chair for (laughs) for hours so um, might as well spread the voter information I think it's a fantastic idea. Now you're inspiring me. I want to go to my different, the different salons in my community and do that. It wouldn't be hard. I think you could just like create some, you know, postcards or something, informational postcards that has a, a QR code and then people can just check it out, check out the voter's right. guide or whatever. Right. You're sitting under the dryer or yeah. getting your hair braided or yeah. Yep. And then it could probably help develop relationships so that when you have a papers voter guide, you could probably just 
you know, drop off a bundle of them. And then as people are getting their hair done, they can be reading the paper voters guide. Yep. Yep. Great. It's um, such a great idea. We should all be thinking more about it. Yeah. And maybe, who knows, maybe they'll give you a discount on your hairdo. (laughs) So the other thing I wanted to mention was on the last episode, episode 20, we talked about SMART goals. Um, And if you remember correctly, the SMART goals were about being strategic, measurable, ambitious, realistic, and time-bound. But at a recent training, uh, which is called the Virginia Progressive Leadership Project, I learned that they've actually added two new pieces to the SMART goal acronym, and that is inclusive uh, for the I. So it's now called SMARTY. It's inclusive and equitable. And this is this is outstanding because it's exactly where we're at as an organization is every time we make a decision, we need to look through the lens of inclusion, equity. And so the inclusive part of this SMARTY goal is it brings traditionally excluded individuals and or groups into processes and activities and decision-making and so that we're sharing power. And then equitable part of the SMARTY goal is that it includes an element of fairness or justice that seeks to address systematic injustice, inequity, or oppression. So I, um, I, when I re-listened to episode 20 and I remember that I learned about the new SMARTY uh, tool, I was like, Melissa, we got to share this. I, I, can't, I can't leave it, go- leave it out there. Um, so please, uh, when you are doing your board meetings or your committee meetings or leadership, make sure you add on that I and that E inclusion and being inclusive and equitable and put that into your strategic planning. For our Deeds Not Words segment, Amy interviews Krista Jones, a powerful voice for inspiring and creating space for Black leaders in political leadership. She founded Vote Lead Impact and advocates for women's social economic status issues and has served in the leadership of several women's organizations, including the Arlington Commission on the Status of Women, Women's Vote Centennial Initiative, Women's Monument Commission, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, and the Junior League of Northern Virginia. Krista Jones, if you could tell us a little bit about you so our listeners have an idea your amazingness that I am so inspired by. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I'm really excited to be here and just to talk about some of my work. I have been involved in politics and advocacy for probably about 20 years. Uh, It started uh, really in the Peace Corps, I would say. I served in the Peace Corps in Paraguay, South America uh, from 2000 to 2002, worked with uh, municipal development. So basically that meant helping create a democracy in Paraguay. They had been under a dictatorship for years and they brought the Peace Corps in. So that's really where I developed my passion, I'd say, for just on the ground civic engagement. I wanted to actually stay in the Peace Corps a year longer and travel to East Timor, but I was unable to do that. So I went ahead and came back to the United States because I figured also there's a lot of work I could do here. I ended up working in the government relations department uh, for the American College of OBGYNs. And really from that experience, I learned a lot about advocacy and lobbying and PACs and just that whole world of Capitol Hill. I stayed there for about five years. And during that time, I got my master's degree from the George Washington University. And I got my degree in legislative affairs, but I wrote my master's thesis on the lack of black Congress people in Virginia. And my professor said, well, instead of making it a purely academic thesis, why not talk about how you can solve the problem? And so then I founded Virginia Leadership Institute. And it's been going strong for 12 years. 
we uh, focus on getting African-Americans elected and appointed to different political leadership positions. That organization, about two years ago, I started to get the itch to expand it outside of Virginia. So it's now, we've changed our name. It's called Vote Lead Impact. And we're working actively in Florida, as well as Maryland, of course, Virginia, and we're starting to expand to other states. But I'd say I've also served in a lot of leadership positions with my sorority, um, particularly with the political social action. But, you know, that's just kind of some background on me. Holy cow. I didn't even know all this stuff. <laughs> the Peace Corps? Yes. Wow. Yes. And I didn't realize that the your leadership institute is like grown and across yes. states. Yes. Yes. Gosh. We're excited. Yes. Yeah. So what is, okay, so tell me what exactly, um, I mean, you're one woman and yeah. that is amazing. So the, the leadership, at Virginia Leadership Institute, like what exactly is that? How is it working? That's a great question. So we focus on, while a lot of political leadership programs, you go to classes, and I think that's great and that's really important, but we want it to be a little bit more sustainable because we understand that oftentimes, especially when someone's considering running for office, when they may not have had a lot of experience in politics, they haven't grown up with it, they may need some more hand-holding or mentoring. So what we do is match people with a mentor. For example, we have someone who wants to run in Northern Virginia for a local election next year. She signed up with us a few months ago, and I just kind of, we figure out where her weak spots are, whether it, maybe it's fundraising, maybe it's media relations. So we talk to her just really each month to try to coach her along in that particular area. You know, how has she visited the local party meeting? Has she gone out and talked to local leaders? And then basically we just try to groom that candidate to run. That is really the basis of what we do. We also, like I mentioned, we try to get African-Americans in appointed positions as well. So, as well. so we realized a long time ago, even though the, the goal of the organization was to be mainly to get African-Americans elected, we discovered that political leadership in other ways, like commissions, is also an excellent way to serve. It can also be a training ground for elected office. Yeah. So we do that. So we, have, we do have classes. We did our first fellowship program where we did the traditional class set up last year. And we also do forums. Like, for example, we did a couple of forums, one in Falls Church and one in Gainesville, Florida. The black vote is it taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And that just brings a lot of different voices to the table to talk about how do we engage more African-Americans in the system. There's a lot of different ways of doing that. It's not just us. There's some structural systems that we want to help change as well. So that's pretty much VLI in a nutshell. Wow, I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. And when you say Virginia too, we don't have enough African-American, like men, women leading the state and it's incredible. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just so disheartening. And this sounds, I was in Atlanta and there was a woman wearing a shirt and it said elect, uh, elect black women. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw that shirt, I bought it. I was like, oh, wow, oh, that's great. We have got to do this. It's that's just, great. I mean, and that really has been kind of like a rallying cry, especially after the Doug Jones election. Yeah, yep. Um, there really is more of an interest and uh, appreciation for the value that black women bring to the table as voters, as candidates. And what I've been happy to see is with this huge influx of more women running, period, you are seeing more minority women, not just black, but just different minorities, yeah. which is great. So I just hope we can keep that up. But I think, like I said earlier, there are structural issues that have to be addressed. And then just as how we relate to each other, that has to be addressed too, so we can continue that wave. So when you say structural issues, I think of voter suppression. Are you thinking of others? That's definitely one. I would say the part of different political parties or another. 
I was talking to a candidate. She's one of my sorority sisters who's running in North Carolina. And she was just really concerned. You know, the Democratic Party had not, she happens to be running as a Democrat. The party has not been strong in her community for a lot of years, but she is the Democratic nominee. So she's running against a Republican, but she just feels like the party has left her. Mm-hmm. And she has been working. She's actually an elected official currently, so it's not like she's come out of nowhere. Yeah. But what she, the things that she was saying are some of the things that you're hearing all across the nation. Of course, you can see where a party wants to put money behind a candidate who has already raised a certain amount. But I think we have to be really intentional and look at the different situations. And we, like I said, we don't want to take the black vote for granted. I mean, how horrible is it that you consistently have this loyal voting block for Democratic right. candidates and you're for Democratic for candidates and period, but you're not supporting the African Americans who are running for right, office. right, or you just show up when you want them to vote, but you like completely churches ignore them. Or, exactly. Like the rest of the two years or four exactly, years, it's exactly. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just, yes. Right, right. But we have to do something about it, yeah. you know? I think it's been an issue we've realized for a lot of years. And like I said, it's it's exciting to have this influx yeah. of women, period, and black women especially, too, to hopefully we'll change that. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are some other leadership stories? Like, this woman sounds like she's, I mean, that's tremendous, but what yes. are some other leadership stories you had? Definitely. I think that... You know, what I'm enjoying hearing is I have another sorority sister happens to be she lost her first election um, in a local town in northern Virginia uh, was I think she was kind of fed up with politics at first. Just a really strong community leader had worked for local government, been really engaged, always really trying to do these entrepreneurial efforts and then also trying to get more people engaged Had helped really create VLI on the ground from its early stages. Something got in her last earlier this year. I guess it was late last year, and she decided that she wanted to run again. She won. She's now serving on the town council. It's just so exciting to see her Facebook live feeds about what's going on in the meeting, all of those wonderful things. She's excited about local government. She's excited about really transforming this town. And I've known her for like the last 10 years or more. So it's just really great to see that evolution. Someone who stuck stuck with it, didn't give up, and really had a passion for the community. And I meet people like that all the time. Oh, That's what's so exciting. That's yes. what keeps me invigorated. Like you were saying earlier, like since you hit that wall, yeah. you being around people like that, yeah. you know, and actually I'll say one other thing. It's, it's kind of addresses the wall issue, but so I do work for local government now and there's an elected official I've known for years who's just kind of struggled with like health issues. She's, you know, her husband passed away several years ago. And one time I asked her and she's been through several political campaigns. She's lost several, well, a few as well. And I asked her, you know, how do you just keep on fighting? And then I see her fighting just kind of like every day, just in terms of, you know, people are always going to say bad things about you or you get discouraged or you lose some type of legislative issue. And, you know, she said she has a very spiritual outlook, first of all. She says, look at the things that have happened to me in my life, you know, with the death and the, the cancer. You think that someone telling me they don't like me or someone or me losing a political campaign could even compare to that? Like, that's just an attitude she has of keeping going. And so that's an inspiration as well to me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like she's, I mean, she's very strong. Mm-hmm. Very, very strong. Definitely. Through all that and be like, if you look back, look what I have now. Look where I'm going. Exactly. Nothing's going to stop me. And the lives she's changed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. She's been a voice. Yeah. That's important. Just so you, all our listeners know, Chris is talking about, because before we got on, I was telling her how I hit my activist wall. And um, oftentimes we see in, the media, you know, they have like random articles and they talk about like mindfulness and taking care of yourself, especially, you know, in the age of Trump. Um, 
and I hadn't been doing that. And even though like we kept, you know, every now and then on this podcast, uh, we talk about this, taking care of yourself, I really wasn't doing that. And um, I really wasn't taking that, like, just for real. I kept thinking that was, like, fuzzy stuff. But that's, like, it is real. Like, I... I'd say I think I overdid it. I was doing something almost every single night, and then we had the national convention. Uh, and you read all these news articles, and you get exhausted, and mm-hmm. you know some of it's soul crushing. And it took me probably at least at least a week from the national convention to recover physically, <laughs> but emotionally, it took me I think three weeks maybe. And then I went to Atlanta, Georgia for a conference to learn about fundraising for social justice causes and seeing all of the amazing work that other leaders are doing across the country and for issues that people are really hurting and they are heroes in those communities. Um, it was fantastic. And I think that that helped me crawl out of my hole and climb over the wall. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then working as an intern for the national office in the League of Voters, uh, seeing you know, being part of a team, I think, has also helped me a lot. So that's what, when she talks about the wall, it's talking about Amy hit the wall. But I'm good. I'm all right now. Excellent. So I came out We need you. Yeah. Your energy and your spirit. It was, uh, I was a little worried. I was, yeah, the energy was going to be gone. Mm. This lab, but it's good. I was at a, I was at a protest yesterday. Uh, August 12th, I was at the counter protest to the white supremacists. So we outnumbered them, crushed their numbers. There's only about 25 of them, and there was, you know, two, 3,000 of us. Excellent. And, um, yeah, they, there was no hate. We, we crushed that hate, so in a peaceful way, though. So I want to talk about also African-American women and white women working together. So we talked about before we uh, started recording was the New York Times article that came out about suffragists um, and how African-American women were, you know, they, they were not even allowed space. Mm-hmm. Um, the white women, it, most of them were fluent. Um, you know, they took it up. And then they even diverged and had, you know, the two camps going on. They had the Alice Paul campaign that was going on, and they had the Carrie Chapman Cat campaign that was going on. And then they had the anti-suffragists that, were, that was going on. And, you know, when we read this article and the other things that I've read, it really talks about how there wasn't any space for the African-American women because because they were so worried about the South. I mean, really, it was these white women were, you know, maybe it was a strategic campaign, um, you know, kind of feel like it was pandering to an ideology and and it was hurting other people. And when you really think about it, if they would have just embraced the whole vote, how far our country would be right now. Like, how ahead of time. And it really would be a just, more fair society. But because they didn't, and they divided and, and maybe it was because we were at a time of, like, women were at a survival mode, just trying to get little pieces of crumbs of power. Mm-hmm. And it was easier, it was better and easier for them to suppress one and make them feel better. I don't know, but it, it was jacked up mm-hmm. regardless. So I would love to hear what your reflections are from that New York Times article yes. and, and what else. So I'd like to first start by saying my dad totally, really admires Eleanor Roosevelt. And one of the things that he really likes about her is because he always says she stood up for what was hard in her time. So a lot of times we look back and we say, well, you know, it was just that you have to look at the time, look at the circumstances and totally understand what they were going through. I totally agree with that sentiment. And really what you just said in terms of what if they would have just taken that risk? 
risk, not really cared about all that. And I think that's another thing, just go back to our earlier conversation about what keeps us going and what we should try to always encourage people to do. We should think about maybe some of those errors in history and think about as we go forward, how we can take that risk and the, and the, the different course we'll set history on. So for that article though, I under I don't totally understand what the sentiment, I think it's true. I think with the work that I've done with either women's rights issues, with the Women's Vote Centennial Commission that I'm working, or initiative that I'm working on, there's always been a clear, like apologetic stance. Like we know this happened. I don't think a lot of people are really trying to brush it under the rug. I do think that we need to think about, when we talk about the women's rights movement in general, this is how some of that consternation and discomfort started. And as it said in the article, it wasn't until several decades later where African-American women could really fully have the right to vote. So I'm glad the article was written, but I really want us to focus now on, so what do we do now? I don't think that's any less of a reason to celebrate the centennial. I think anyone who looks at history sees that what happened in 1920 was so pivotal, pivotal to the nation, to how, who we are today. It's unfortunate that we all could not get the right to vote at that time or, before, or in practical terms, but it still was an important part of history and moving forward. And just think about everything that happened before that. And also, you never know if history would have been changed, how things could have been changed. So that was my major reflection from the article. I actually have done a few focus groups with Black women and white women to bring them together to talk about this topic as well as advocacy in general. I also serve on the board of an organization that's a PAC that gets women elected. I was trying to get a more diverse representation on the board. And I noticed that when I would advertise for board positions on my, the BLI Foundation, I was getting a lot of, a, I was getting a different uh, reaction from some of my black female friends as I was for this other women's organization. And I started to kind of wonder why. So there's a lot of reasons that could be. I mean, a PAC is definitely different from a foundation. You know, the fundraising is different, et cetera. The causes were somewhat different. But I started to really think about the fact that I know from and my interactions that sometimes black women and white women are simply uncomfortable with each other. We don't like to talk about it, we like to gloss it over. Now, this is not, I'm not saying all black women and white women are monolithic. I'm not saying there are other women of color that may not experience this as well. But I wanted to look at black women and white women in particular because of the history of our interactions throughout time, even earlier than 1920 in the suffrage movement, starting earlier in slavery a lot of those same attitudes still persist. When I have conversations with my black girlfriends, sometimes those things are just kind of understood, you know, that there is a discomfort there. And some of the issues that came out in the focus groups were one, it really was an American issue. If you look at Caribbean women, African -American, black Caribbean women, they don't really understand because they've been raised in a different context where African-Americans were successful, or, or sorry, black, black people were successful and seen differently, where in the United States we've been oppressed. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing I learned. Another thing is I was actually surprised. I thought that women in the military, I come from a military family. I thought that black women in the military would have a really different perspective just because of the exposure they've had um, to different parts of the world and with different types of people. Interestingly enough, it wasn't what I assumed. It was still, they still held some of the same um, beliefs that other black women held. In these conversations, we talked about everything that may seem significant like hair. We talked about men. 
all of those issues, the workplace, the, all of those issues come into how we relate to each other and see each other. So I'm still doing, this was just the tip of the iceberg, I'm still doing research on this, but what I thought about was, so if we're talking about what happened with Doug Jones, if we're talking about like the t-shirt you saw, like let the black women lead, all these hashtags, that's gonna require us sitting together after work when we don't have to, at seven o'clock going to meetings with these organizations and talking about advocacy, talking about coalition building, talking about policy issues and trying to be comfortable with each other. So that is gonna take extra effort and it's not gonna happen if we're uncomfortable with each other. So that's really where I want my research to go next. And like I said, I think the article was will actually be helpful because I think that there are some people that didn't know about the history. So I'm glad that yeah. it's come up, but I think it's time to move forward. So we talk about, you know, black women, white women being more comfortable with each other. What does that mean? Someone said in one of the focus groups, which I thought was really poignant, she didn't only want to be accepted, she wanted to be embraced. So if she's going to go to a meeting, a packed board meeting and trying to raise money for this cause, she wants to really feel embraced by the people around the table. Another thing that I think will be really valuable, black women's in particular, have a lot of organizations. So we have our sororities, we have the National Council of Negro Women, the Coalition of 100 Black Women. It would be so powerful if some of the quote-unquote primarily white women's organizations were to join with the quote-unquote primarily black women's organizations and show that at the top, there is unity and there's a desire to move forward on these issues together. Why are we doing voter registration drives separately? Right. Why are we doing candidate forms separately? These are all things that we're all trying to fight for the same purpose. Yeah. So those were just some of the what I some of the things I took away from the article and some of the research that I've done on black and white women. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so the League of Women Voters, one of the things they have done, uh, so the national board uh, has a diversity, equity, inclusion initiative happening right now. And so they hired a firm and they actually had that firm go to their national convention and awesome. all over a thousand delegates had to go and participate in these, um, you know, these conversations about bias and Excellent. all of that. And it was great. And now they're going to keep this going Wonderful. for, gosh, I don't even know how long. I don't think we have an end date because this is a long-term yes. uh, process. And so in that process, we're have you know the league as a whole for years has been like they said. I remember this in Dallas, and you know several years ago we had a national convention. Their big thing, all the members like we want to diversify. How do we do that? Yes. And like it's like a robot. It's like just screech. Right. We don't know what to do. We're broken. We know right. how we need to get this done. So really, it it is about going outside of your bubble and showing up at other people's meetings. We've yep. been talking about this on the Alice Paul podcast, but I don't think people believe us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, it, it is hard. It's, it requires you to get uncomfortable and to mm-hmm. make time and make this a priority and mm-hmm. say, you know, one day a week, I'm going to go to a meeting that where there are people who do not look like Thank me. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly right. That's what it takes. But unfortunately, so this is where the, the article does have a lot of credences because, and he said in the article, these feelings are still felt today. So sometimes when you think about the discomfort or distrust, it comes from that happening. But I, I mean, I think that a lot of the groups have done a great job of apologizing, saying, let's move on. Maybe it needs to be done more. Maybe it needs to be done directly to black women's groups or other groups of black women. But I think that we can definitely move forward. But you're right. It's about leaving your comfort zone intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both, but- both sides, all sides. Yeah. yeah. And, um, 
I uh, there's a there's a word I think that we need to use when we're talking about this is be curious. Yes. Like I I've heard this several times at the social justice conferences and different trainings I've gone to, and it's it's about being uncomfortable and also being curious. Yes. You know what are other people talking about? Yes. Like what are you doing? What are you guys doing? I want to learn what you're doing. I'm not going to sit there and tell you what you should be doing. Thank you. I don't want to tell you what I have to offer. I just want to be curious what right. you're doing, and right. and maybe somehow I can support that. As long as it's genuine, I think that's the yep. key piece. You know, I have always had a rule. I have always, I grew up in a very, uh, I shouldn't say a diverse community. I, there were, it was a, there was a small minority of African Americans there. But I have always intentionally been a part of non-black organizations and black organizations because I'm very passionate about working with African Americans, other minorities and women. But I've realized that I learned so much, like you're saying, being curious about just a lot of different things and just meeting people outside of your circle is is just so fulfilling. I am active with the Junior League of Northern Virginia, uh, primarily a white organization. They are they too are doing a great job of really trying to diversify, getting consultants on board. Some of the people that I have met, you know, I hate to say this, but members of other political parties, people 10, 15 years younger than me or older, never, ever, ever would have met them if I would have just stayed in my quote unquote black organizations, gone to work, done this. But my life has been so enriched. They're great networking opportunities. I'm gaining leadership skills. So there's just so much power when you leave your comfort zone. Yep, yep. I mean, I think that there's power in your organization when you leave. And I think that's one of the things that, I mean, in the league, Mm -hmm. if we want to grow and we really want to make an impact in the democracy space, and you know, we have a lot of impact made mm-hmm. uh, with voter suppression and yes. politics and all these things we really do need to get outside our comfort zone and we need to go to these other communities and find out what's happening um doug jones would never that that whole situation would never have been what it would have been if if people would have been working together and women got so scary at that crunch time that's right and i mean Really, the only reason it came as a good outcome was that African-American women came up and sh- like they showed up, but mm-hmm. the white women didn't show up. And mm-hmm. if they would have been coming to these meetings and talking, they probably would have had a completely different mindset about what was happening and what this meant for other communities. But they were not. They're not, they're not meeting each other, and mm-hmm. we're so segregated. I think, that's, I think that's one of the issues I think that... Um, that I think we're not talking about enough in our communities is how we are so segregated. Yes. So making that time to go, I think is even, it's harder. Like, um, how, how do we get over this? I know you don't have the answer because it's rhetorical, <laughs> but um, I, my husband and I like to look, since we're military and we're looking at the map of where we're going to, we possibly could be going, um, and some of the places, some of the cities we're looking at, it's, I mean, it's really soul crushing to see how we segregate ourselves. And so if we if we're gonna do advocacy together, mm-hmm. um, like we're not even looking at the same planet. Exactly. No, so you're exactly right. And I don't. I just. I really think organizationally is a great way to start. Mm-hmm. Just because I know with my sorority, the president is the leader. You listen to what she says. It's it's very much that type of atmosphere. So if she says we have a national partnership with the League of Women Voters. You will have to go to because we get points for the work that we do. Oh, so and then you get awards okay, in two years. <laughs> so if, if you got a little point for okay, if you have five of your members go to two League of Women Voters meetings in the next twelve months, they would do it. Whoa! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's that type of thing. I think that's a good start. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Right, yeah. So I exactly. want to hear more about this point system. Yes, yes. I like that. It forces people to, like, it forces you to yes. Maybe there's some friendly competition who can get most points. Exactly. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm liking this. Hey, state leaders, yeah. yeah. listen to this. This could be something. Exactly. What. Yeah, I like that. Um, why does leadership in the African-American community matter to you? I think that because of so much that's happening. It is really important. You know, I have to kind of go back to my childhood. My, uh, first of all, my father, and I learned my mother after several years, very interested in advocacy in a different way. They expressed it a different way. My mom, at the time, I would say probably forced me to watch a lot of PBS specials about the civil rights movement, and I was memorizing different facts and things like that. But interestingly enough, my mother was one of the people who participated in the focus groups on over the phone. So to hear her perspective was interesting because she, both of my parents come from military families. So just, I realized that, and I don't even think she realizes it. One of the questions I ask in the focus groups is what are your earliest memories of working with a woman or people from a different race? Hers went back to, so she's born in the early fifties. Hers went back to when she was like three or four years old and Barbie dolls. Barbie dolls had just come out. Of course, they were all white. But she remembers that her friends, I think they were in Germany, they had gotten a Barbie doll. My mom was didn't have enough money to have one. And they gave her this this Barbie doll. But that is like the first thing she remembers. And that probably sticks with you, as opposed to other people in the focus groups where some of the first memories that they had of the other were not necessarily positive. You know, it was about integrating neighborhoods in the 80s and things like that. So just want to kind of bring that up about my parents and, and the background that I do come from. Um, and for me, you know, I think, like I said earlier, the Peace Corps was a really big piece. And that it's so interesting when you never know when history doesn't turn out like you want it to, different things happen. I had thought I was on this track of international development. I was so excited about my first two years and I wanted to go to East Timor to serve for a third year. But I decided that because I couldn't serve, it was important for me to come back and work in my own community. When I got to be like a legislative assistant and an intern on Capitol Hill, and I already had this love for advocacy, I saw the importance of being represented, the importance of, in that respect, it was having a paid lobbyist. But I just started to see how people operate in terms of getting their voice heard and getting things done, pats, et cetera. But I noticed that African-Americans were not represented. At the same time, I was also, and this is Northern Virginia in the early 2000s, so Barack Obama had not been elected. Um, you have some African-Americans in Northern Virginia, but most of them lived in Prince George's County in D.C. So you have a growing, burgeoning African-American population, but I knew we still needed more voices and more representation. That's kind of where I entered the picture. I moved right at that time with my um, energy and just excitement about politics. That's the area that I decided to devote my energy towards. And so soon after, so I was involved with my sorority, I was involved with NAACP, I was starting coalitions and, you know, meeting people in the Urban League, just kind of realized at that time that we needed more of a voice in this particular community. If I would have been raised in like Chicago or New York, where there was more African-American participation, it might have been totally different. But because of that particular time and that timing, that's why it just became so important to me. Mm -hmm. And like I said, then it became political activism, which was important to me. We talk a lot about voter registration, extremely important. We talk about uh, mobilization and education, extremely important. 
but enough people weren't talking about getting African-Americans elected to have a different kind of power. So that's where it all started for me, and that's why it's so important for me. So one last question for you. What is some advice that you have for our listeners? So uh, our listeners are all over the country, and this is the whole idea is that we try to demystify what it means to be a league member or demystify what it means to be an activist, because the whole idea is after President Trump, there was so many people that were angry, they were confused, they wanted to do something. Uh, so this is supposed to be tools. How you know? How can they do something that's meaningful and impactful and, and helps improve their community and fate in their country? So what are what's some advice um, that you would have for listeners across the country? A few things. Um, just kind of going back into our earlier discussion, do not get frustrated. Allow yourself that time to rest when you need it. For me, I cannot listen to news as much as I used to. Yeah. So that's been a really big difference in the way I live my life the past year and a half. So that's one thing. Don't get frustrated. Keep going. I think that it's also really important to connect with people. And I feel like you do this a lot. Connect with other people who believe in the things that you do. That's going to keep you going. So, and, and that should also be based on our conversation today. Leave your comfort zone. Connect with people who may have similar beliefs but don't look like you, don't have the same experiences as you do. That's really my best piece of advice based on our conversation, just really going outside of that comfort zone. You know, and I think just really purposefully and intentionally trying to stay educated on the issues. I said, on one hand, I say, don't get, don't watch the news so much. But on the other hand, you do really want to stay aware because particularly with this administration, and he, it, you never know what's going to happen in the future. There may be more like this. You can't let, <laughs> let's hope not, let's, exactly, <laughs> but you can't let things slip by you, right, that's right, because I feel like a lot of people, you know, it's unfortunate because, well, it's, this is the only reason why that this presidency has been, and I'm sure you've said this on your podcast before, it's been helpful, because of the backlash it's created. Mm. Just think if it maybe wasn't as bad as our current president, but just, a little bit worse, and then a little bit worse, and then we would not even recognize that incremental change, right? right? Yeah. So at least, but we have to learn our lesson, and we have to really mobilize and organize. And you know, another thing I'll say for those who are more involved in the political sphere, it is so easy. Like, okay, find people, like I said, I'm kind of contradicting myself, no, find not. people who are like you, but when it comes to politics and vote votes, you need to think about how other people are thinking. Mm -hmm. Because it's not only people like you who are going to come out to vote. Right. You have to be realistic about what exists out there. And therefore, you can change your messages and your tactics and your strategies. If you think about the people who are likely to vote for this particular president again, you don't use the same strategies that we've had for other candidates. You've got to start thinking like them and figure out how to appeal to them. Yeah. So I think it's just changing the way we think. Uh, I can say that I have lived all over, and when I talk to my folks that are in Wisconsin, that is a different perspective, a different mindset, and you have to understand their stresses and struggles that they're experiencing before you can talk about policy. Because yes. if you talk and hit them with a bunch of data that you know, it's going to be like, no, that does not speak to <laughs> Exactly. But if you go and talk about it with, like, say, people in Northern Virginia, like, oh, yeah, I got that, what's up? But it's not... It's not the same. People right. from different places, we have different worries, different concerns. And unless you go outside your bubble and start talking to people and connecting with them, you aren't going to know. So That's right. 
That's awesome. Thank That's you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I think no that uh, you gave us so many different kernels that we need to work on. So take care of yourself. Go outside and meet other people who do not look like you. Find your people who, you know, they're not going to look like you, but you all are going to have uh, things that you all care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and work together. It's, I mean, I think that's a huge thing. It's find where you have some common ground and work together. Because if we don't show solidarity, you know, how the suffragists screwed up, you know, it, you're going to divide our communities and then we have no power. So exactly. come together. And if I could just one, offer one final tidbit would be for league members to really actively reach out to the African-American sororities, uh, to reach out to the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, National, you know, all of these different groups, um, National Council of Negro Women, just reach out to them and maybe send a notice about the next upcoming meeting Mm -hmm. or follow them on social media or ask if you can come speak at their future meeting about, you know, particularly in preparation for the elections. There are so many ways organizationally that we can work together and achieve our common goals. Yeah, and I wonder if we could do like some board member swapping. Oh, oh, that would be awesome. I mean, oh my gosh, totally <laughs> change the like the you know like yes. new ideas, yes. fresh ideas on both sides, yes. and like just do like I don't know. You could, That'd be fun. If you want to do it very temporary, you could do like a fellowship board, or yes. you could do a permanent. You know, oh, like, that would be interesting. Let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, another episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Krista. Thank I mean, you. this is oh, amazing. Thank you. This is Melissa Currens. And this is Amy Yersted. We ask, what would Alice Paul do? But it's more important what you're going to do. We challenge you to set a goal and go to another organization's event, specifically to an organization that reflects your community. Until next time.